So good morning again. I was going to say something real clever and witty about me being up here and you all being out there or something to get everybody to laugh and, and everything, but you know, that wouldn't really lessen my anxiety any. Um, so, but you can imagine how relaxing it made me feel this morning when Lydia came in and said, don't worry, everybody will just be judging you. So that, <laughs> that was so helpful. Thank you. Thank you. But, God, but Wes has been you know, leading us through Psalms all summer, and he's been talking about taking your anxiety and, and, and handing it over to God. So that's, that's what I'm going to do this morning. That's what I'm doing. And I think God does have something to say to us this morning uh, through his story. And I appreciate Wes for giving me the opportunity to, to come share that story uh, with you all. So get started by turning in our Bibles, if you have them, or... Or on your phone, I guess. That's the, the way it, it goes now. Or, uh, or it's on the screen. Um, Luke chapter 7, 18, verses 18 through 23. Luke seven eighteen through 23. I'm going to talk about something this morning that's really, really close to me. I'm going to share with you all a part of my story. But really, it's God's story. And I can... And, and because God wrote this story, and because God continues to write this story, I could stand here and tell you this is really, it, it is a fascinating story, um, and, I'm, and I'm glad to get the chance to, to, to kind of share it today. So um, Luke seven eighteen through 23. John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the news came to Jesus, they said, or when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, that good news is proclaimed to, to the poor. Blessed be the one who does not stumble on account of me. So, Heavenly Father, this morning, just open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. We could hear from you and you alone. This morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So some of you, maybe most of you, um, know that I'm a single dad. Um, I have three daughters. They are all three here this morning, kind of back hiding a little bit in the corner. So they're the embarrassing moments over with. Um, it didn't hurt too bad, but I'm, I'm proud of them, glad to have them here this morning. But I'm a single dad because uh, of the... Sort of a tragic, I guess, or sudden, sudden death of, of their mom, my wife. And when it first happened, well, first let me just, yeah, yeah. So when it first happened, um, you know, I, I know I'm not the first man to ever hold his wife's hand as she died, and I'm not the first widower. I'm not the first one to experience any kind of loss like that. Um, but at the time, it seemed that way. 
You know, widower doesn't even sound like a real word or a real person. And in fact, in the Bible, we don't really hear about widowers, but we hear a lot about widows. There's so many stories about widows. Jesus encountered, you know, what we call the, the widow of Nain, but the, the, went to the city of Nain, and the widow's son, he raised him from the dead. Um, Deuteronomy talks about, or gives laws, what we're supposed to do to help widows. Paul, in, in his letter to Timothy, I think it was, talked about how to take care of widows. Um, Moses, again, in Deuteronomy, talked about the widows. Zach, Zechariah told us not to oppress the fatherless. Elijah brought back the, the widow from Zarephath, her son. So it just seemed like, you know, others have suffered loss, but, you know, mine seemed different. I was even able to convince myself that Jesus didn't understand. Because, so he came to his friend Lazarus' grave. And you remember, he wept. And he certainly felt the, you know, the sadness and sorrow and, and the, also felt for Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. But then what did he do next? He turned right around and raised Lazarus from the dead. So I was able to convince myself, really, he didn't even understand. It just seemed like absolute and certain. No one else has ever experienced the loss that I'm going through. That just seemed so certain to me. You know, I was surrounded by wonderful friends, most, most of you all, like just by church family who was loving and caring. But everybody, some people, most would say, you know, I have no idea how you feel. And that just seemed to isolate me even more. But then those that said, I know exactly how you feel, which believe it or not, there were people who said, I know exactly how you feel. But that just kind of pushed me away and alienated me more. Just amplified the loss even more. I was just convinced. I'm, I'm mourning the sudden unexpected of my wife, and no one else has ever experienced the loss I'm going through. But God used two very unlikely sources to lift me out of that brokenness and out of that hopelessness. The first one happened when a friend, and uh, probably would become as no surprise, Wes was the friend. He was going through Ancestry.com and uh, sort of studying his, his ancestry. And he, was tell, he would tell me stories every time we were together about his grandparents and his, and his relatives and the lands they had settled and the places they had been and the revolutionary war battles they had fought in and so many things. It was so fascinating. I was like, you know what? I, I'm curious. I want to see. I want to trace my own ancestry. I want to see, you know, those types of things, if, what's in my past. So I started going through on Ancestry.com and just went back two generations and discovered one of my great-grandfathers was a widower at 40 years old. Suddenly a single dad, he had five children under the age of 17. So I thought, well, you know, no one else has ever experienced this. Maybe there are others who have experienced it. Plus, I had, you know, three kids, two under the age of, of eight, of 13, and he had five under 17. So I, then I just kept on. I, that's, that's, I did just kind of think, no, nah, okay, that's interesting. Kept tracing my ancestry, though. Came on another great-grandfather. Lost his wife when he was 54. 
she left behind 11 children. Six of them were under 19 years old. I was like, wow. So then in the next generation, a great, great grandfather, widowed at 30 years old, four children, three children, four years old, seven years old, and 10 years old. And then to top that off, he was widowed again when he was 32 and again when he was 48. So now we've got multiple grandfathers, multiple children, multiple times going through the same thing that I was going through. So I keep tracing, keep tracing through the, through the history, right? And I don't know if y'all have ever done the Ancestry.com thing, but you read birth certificates and you read death certificates and census records is a big, big part of it. So you just kind of go through, going through all that. So another great-grandfather, another great-great-grandfather, twice, twice, two young wives, each of them had a child less than six years old. Then I came to the third generation of great-grandfathers. On my dad's side of the family, a great, great, great grandfather lost three wives before his 48th birthday. So he outlived three wives. And they left behind 33 children. 33 children. Now, they weren't all his by birth, but they had 33. And most kind of muddied the, the birth certificates and all that stuff, but most were under 19. So 33 children. So no one has ever experienced the loss I am going through. God completely shattered that. That is just like, you know, he sent the message there. You know, stop feeling sorry for yourself, I guess. But my own heritage, you know, my own legacy was, was widow dads. That, that lifeline of hope. And, you know, that legacy of faith was right there. So I didn't know it, but where is God in our loss? Where is God when we don't, you know, when we have rough times? Brendan read from Isaiah there. Where is God in the barren land? Where is God in the wilderness? Yeah, he says he has streams in the barren land and turns the wilderness into a pool. And and, in another place in Isaiah, it says he walks with us through the fire. But how do we know that? How do we know God is there? when we don't know God is there. So let's look at John the Baptist. And not his whole life, but just this little part we read this morning, this one, one place in his life, one moment, but a moment when he was certainly alone. And I can't help but think he might have thought, you know, what no one else has ever experienced the loss I'm going through. You know, in the passage we read, John's in prison pretty much because of his faith. Um, Herod, King Herod at the time, he was, he was with his, his brother Philip's wife. And John the Baptist had spoken out and said it was unlawful and it wasn't right. So Herod had him thrown into prison. Um, he didn't want to have him killed, so he, you know, he tossed him into prison. So, so God, John is in, the, in prison kind of because, because of what he believes as a result of that. So there in prison, he's confused. He's wondering if he could be executed. You know, at any moment, 
begins to doubt Jesus. He begins to wonder, is he, was he right? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is everything that I live my life for really true? John had a calling on his life, right? I mean, an angel appeared to his father before he was born. His mother felt, uh, felt him leap in her womb just at the thought of the Messiah. I mean, I'm sure as, as he grew up, he heard that stories. We tell stories about, you know, about our kids all the time, about what they did when they were little, or what happened before they were born or after they were born. His, his, uh, their moms, Jesus and John's moms, were somehow related. Um, everybody says cousins, I don't know, but they were related in some way. So Jesus and John were related in some way, probably grew up together, probably pray, played together. Um, you know, for 30 years before, before uh, Jesus started his ministry, I guess the way you would put it, um, a lot of things happens in a family. So they were probably at weddings together and at funerals together and family get-togethers together and all that. They knew each other really well. They had probably talked about the stories uh, that had happened as they were growing up. Um, he baptized Jesus. He saw the spirit of, you know, in the form of a dove descend on Jesus. He heard God say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. John himself declared, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How could he doubt? How, how could he not know? Um, so he's in prison. And he heard the stories. He heard what was going on with Jesus. Right there, very first thing in the scripture, John's disciples told him about all these things. All these things. Jesus was teaching and he, told, he talked about that. Before this, this story happened, Jesus had uh, healed the uh, centurion's daughter. He had raised the little girl from the dead. He had healed the sick. He had healed the lame. One place, in, uh, it's actually in Mark, he says that Jesus brought the whole, the whole town came to Jesus. Everybody in the whole town, and he healed all their sick. Right before this story in Luke, the very thing before that, was the story of the widow of Nain. Jesus had gone in to Nain and raised her, her son from the dead. Those, that's these things. That's what John was hearing. And I could just imagine John was thinking, here I am in prison, not experiencing those things, not seeing those things. And I know there was a place where, where John said of Jesus that he must, de- he must increase and I must decrease. I know he said that, but do you think he really thought that he would just be completely out of the picture. And I can't help but think that he thought he would be part of the ministry. He would be there, you know, at least sharing in these things that are going on. But instead, he's in prison. So I have to think that he was thinking, why doesn't Jesus come get me out of this cell? Why don't I get a miracle? Does he love all those people more than he loves his family? You know, why am I still here? Satan starts whispering in his ear. He's not the Messiah. He's not who he says he is. If he was, he wouldn't leave you here. How can you trust him? How can you trust the very one who's letting you down? Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been somewhere where you felt like you were in a prison cell? There's no escape, no way out. Your spouse walks in one day and says, I want a divorce. Or a doctor looks at your um, x-ray and says, this is worrisome. Or layoffs are rumored at work. Or addiction is literally stolen every area of your life. Or a loved one has passed away. And there's no escape. There's no way out. You start to question. You start to doubt. You start to wonder. And I think John started to question. And started to doubt. And started to wonder. So we sent there in verse 20. He sent asking, are you the one? Is it really you? What happened to behold the Lamb of God? I don't think he was really asking. Just is it you? I think he was asking, you're going to leave me here in this cell? Have you abandoned me? Can I even trust you? Do you even have the power to do anything about this? And one reason I don't think he necessarily doubted that Jesus was the Messiah is if you look ahead in the story, in verse 28, Jesus tells the people, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. So Jesus certainly didn't doubt his faith. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty legit compliment coming from God himself. There's no one greater than John. So the disciples came and asked, Are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus starts healing the sick. He restores sight. He demonstrates that, yes, I do have the power. And then... And then look at what he tells them in verse 22. Go and tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. But Jesus left something out of that. Because everywhere else we kind of hear those words... There's one more part to it. And that's setting the captive free. In in Isaiah 61, which Jesus read at the very beginning of his ministry in the synagogue, he, God the Father, has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And Jesus said that scripture is fulfilled in him. That scripture is fulfilled today. You see that scripture fulfilled. But he left that out. And I just think he left it out on purpose. I think he knew that John the Baptist knew the scriptures. And I think he knew that John the Baptist would know that was left out. And I think he was telling him he wasn't going to come to free him. Because he didn't want him to focus so much on being in prison. He wanted him to focus on who Jesus is. He wanted him to focus on what Jesus was doing and the power that Jesus had. And that even though he was in prison, Jesus was still there with him. 
He didn't want him to miss that. He wanted to let him know, you're staying in prison, but I'm there with you. I have the power, but I'm with you. He wasn't going through it alone. And, of course, ultimately John was set free. He was set free in death. And then that was a greater freedom than he could have imagined or, or wanted. He saw Jesus as he is. But they're in prison, you know, maybe thinking, no one has ever experienced the loss I am going through. John needed to know that he was not abandoned. He needed to know that he wasn't alone. He needed to know he could trust Jesus even in his captivity, even in his prison cell. And in a mighty way, Jesus demonstrated that to him, that he was not alone. You know, I told you about the legacy of my grandfathers. And I told you there was two ways that God demonstrated to me that um, I was not alone. It lifted me out of my brokenness. The other way, um, so I've, I've been married twice. Unfortunately, you know, the first marriage ended in divorce. But we were blessed with a wonderful daughter, Alyssa, she gets two embarrassing moments. But uh, less than a month after my wife uh, died, her grandfather passed away. Her grandfather's, so my father-in-law, my, I still considered him my father-in-law. Um, but I wanted to go to the funeral. And I was really kind of hesitant. I hadn't seen most of the family in a, in a lot of years. And I didn't know exactly how I'd kind of be accepted. That's one of those moments, that ultimately, that just was not true at all. But, the, you know, the anxiety meter was, like, way up. You know, I didn't know. So when I got to the funeral home, I just kind of eased in real quietly and in the back. And there was a, long, you know, a line of mourners or a line of friends coming through. And I just skipped that and went over to the, to the side. It was a little alcove area. I just kind of went back there so I could just be drifted in the background. And Alyssa saw me, and she came over, and we were talking about, uh, talking about her, her grandfather, and they had set up some little uh, memorial displays of, of things that showed kind of his life as a, you know, as a father and as a farmer. He was a farmer and as a friend. And we had done the same thing just a, less than a month before, at, at my wife's funeral, just setting up, you know, little displays that kind of showed about the person. And we were talking about that. And then um, her grandmother, you know, my mother-in-law, saw us and she started coming toward us. So I kind of walked over toward her a little apprehensively. And she came straight up to me and she was, she was crying and she said, I am so glad you are here. I could not wait for you to get here because no one else here knows what I am going through except you. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> we talked for a while. It didn't really take a lot of words because that, that was already sealed there what we were sharing. But after we talked for a while, I did go over say a few words to the rest of the family. Went and sat down. As I was sitting there, 
I kind of, you know, waiting for the funeral to start and or the service to start. And I sort of, you know, stapled my hands together and rested my chin in my hands. And I was just sitting there. I kind of drifted away a little bit. And my eyes kind of, I don't know, became kind of windows to somewhere else. And, and I saw my great-grandfather standing beside an open grave, holding tiny hands, standing trying to be a statue of strength. And Jesus is standing there beside him, weeping. And then I looked and I saw my other great-grandfather playing with his children. And he just kind of lifted his chin a little bit and he had a little grin, a twinkle in his eye. And then my great-great-great-grandfather was there, surrounded by children. And he just kind of nodded, you know, and waved his hand. And then suddenly my eyes focused on my mother-in-law. And she's standing there, and her, she's holding her chin firm and her lips quivering. But then I knew I'm not alone. You know, God is here with me. God is there. God is standing there at the grave when you say goodbye to a loved one. God is listening when you hear that devastating report from the doctor. God stays when your spouse walks out of your marriage. And whatever you're going through this morning, God is with you. Whatever, whatever has you chained, whatever has you captive, whatever has you confined, whatever has you bound up, God is with you. Maybe you're not going through anything this morning that has you captive. But chances are you have in the past. And chances are you will in the future. And you may know someone who needs to know that God is there. But how do you know that God is there? How do you go from, is he the Messiah? Is, does he have the power to help me? Is he here with me? Can he do anything about this? Am I going through this alone? How do you know he's there? Well, he was in the prison cell with John the Baptist. And you can remember that. And he was with me, even though I didn't know it, in the loss of my wife. And in his word, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So God is there. He's holding you. He's loving you. And he's with you. Let's just remember that. Always, God is always with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for loving us, for being with us, for holding us, for, for showing us that you have the power to always be near us. And thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness and for your love.
In Jesus' name, amen.